brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Pollock. At the age of just five, Paul left his home in Czechoslovakia as the Nazi troops invaded. His family escaped to Canada. Paul's home in Canada, as he grew up, had no electricity or running water, but he says, I never felt poor. His life from these humble beginnings flourished. Paul became a successful psychiatrist and with side businesses in real estate and oil, he reached a net worth of $3 million. That's before Paul turned his attention to finding solutions to global poverty. Motivated by a chance trip to India, Paul's life pivoted 35 years ago. He became perhaps one of the first to champion scalable entrepreneurial solutions for the world's poorest. He founded IDE, International Development Enterprises, followed by DREV, Design Revolution, both being non-profits. And then in 2007, he founded Windhorse International, this time a for-profit organization. His aims remained similar, to find and scale enterprise solutions for the world's poorest. Paul is also an acclaimed thought leader, mentor and author. His 2009 book, Out of Poverty, is heralded practical, sensible and refreshing, whilst his second book, The Business Solution to Poverty, in 2013 was awarded the top 10 business books by The Economist. It's perhaps Paul's keenness for first-hand insight and information that has resulted in him being named as one of the world's brave thinkers by the Atlantic Monthly, along with Barack Obama and Steve Jobs, and recognized by Scientific American as one of the world's leading 50 contributors to science. Paul says, if you have met the challenge of designing a transformative, radically affordable technology, you've successfully solved no more than 10 to 20% of the problem. The critical other 80% of the solution lies in designing an effective marketing, distribution and profitable business strategy that can be brought to scale. Paul, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to, to join you. You changed your life radically some 35 years ago. And now as an Octonagerian, you're still founding new businesses. What made you think you could help in the first place and, and what keeps you motivated now? It wasn't really a change. It was an evolution. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. So uh, working as a psychiatrist in my spare time, I invested in mismanaged real estate, fixed the management problems, and made money doing it. I found that I was uh, most often fairly successful at doing that. And there came a time uh, I ended up owning some 250 apartment units. And I had to face a question about what do I want to do now? Do I want to keep uh, expanding uh, my business in mismanaged real estate and other ventures? Do I want to become uh, a Bill Gates or a Donald Trump kind of person with a, with a hundred million dollars? Uh, and at that point in life, I uh, came to the realization that beyond having enough money uh, to be able to be secure and cover my basic living expenses, the marginal value of accumulating more wealth was not uh, really useful. And since I had some uh, abilities as an entrepreneur, 
directing it at addressing uh, the biggest problems uh, and the biggest challenges the planet faces was much more satisfying. And I don't really, uh, it's not a process of making me think that I can uh, change the world's problems. It's more a process of putting one foot in front of the other. So in reality, I got involved in the development issues because a friend of mine, Art Affair, was appointed High Commissioner for Refugees. And he said, come on over to Somalia. You know, we formed this organization called IDE. This is a perfect opportunity to see if we can do anything. So we stumbled around. One of the problems, uh, somebody suggested that we bring packages of seeds so that refugees could plant uh, vegetable gardens. That didn't work. And then uh, a Dutch uh, uh, official who was visiting uh, from Holland about the refugee problem pointed out the, the big problem the refugees had with transportation. And uh, uh, at that time, uh, I had as a partner a young 26-year-old guy, Jerry Dick, who is himself a natural entrepreneur. And uh, we went to the refugee camps and rode in the, in the care trucks, bringing some food to the refugee camps. And we talked to a lot of refugees. And, uh, and, and indeed, they had this problem with transport. And one thing led to another. And um, we found we could uh, uh, build 500 donkey carts and sell them to refugees. But that was a challenge because uh, the UNHCR system was based on giving things to refugees. And they, it was absurd to them to actually get the refugees to pay for it. So we had to fight the establishment uh, to allow refugees to pay uh, for the donkey carts. Well, the refugees were quite motivated and the refugees had connections all over the Middle East. So they could borrow the money, uh, buy, buy donkey carts, and, uh, and earn a very good income. They, they became the equivalent of millionaires in that culture. That taught us that poor people or people designated as poor can really help themselves if you address the constraints. But donkey carts didn't have a global market. So the next problem we looked at was safe drinking water, which is truly a global problem. And we sold uh, 2 million treadle pumps, which allowed people in countries like Bangladesh to irrigate their crops, make money, and have safe drinking water as a side benefit. And once again, a treadle pump cost $25. And on the average, uh, the average refugee who bought a treadle pump would make $100 net in the first uh, growing season. So because the refugees could make money and we then shifted to poor farmers, one acre farmers who bought these pumps, we ended up focusing on how to mass market to poor farmers in villages. And we use things like uh, a Bollywood movie that played to uh, a million people uh, a year. So it's a, it's a process of putting one foot in front of the other and learning as you go and finding out what works. We 
created a Bollywood movie, Bollywood type movie where boy meets girl, they want to get married, can't get married because the father doesn't have enough money for the dowry. And he meets a friend who tells him about the treadle pump and he uses the treadle pump uh, to make money and they get married and live happily ever after. A real tearjerker that lasted 90 minutes, but it attracted crowds of two or 3,000 people at each showing in an open air setting. And that helped us market treadle pumps. Treadle pumps, the technology wasn't the problem. It's putting it in the hands of millions of people. And we did that by using rural mass marketing. So it's been this process. And, and I was really surprised at, at the impact we could make with simple approaches. And uh, it's the results that convinced me that this approach works. And we've been uh, doing the same kind of thing ever since. And Paul, you said a few years back that poverty's persistence, despite hundreds of billions in non-profit and NGO resources vaporized trying to solve it, remains one of humanity's greatest failures. What is it that you think we need to be doing differently to make real and lasting impact? The key, the key problem has been the conventional charity approach. If you have refugees in Somalia, you collect contributions uh, from people and you bring them food and the things they need. Uh, and that solves a temporary problem. But the real solution to those ref refugees is to help them gain access to ways that they can uh, help themselves so that the earliest learning was with the donkey carts. They knew how to handle donkey carts. They just didn't have the bearings and the uh, tires and the wheels to make the donkey carts. So if you fill that need now, the donkey cart manufacturers earn a living by making and selling donkey carts and operating a few donkey carts. The uh, refugees line up to buy those donkey carts on credit and they can pay that off in three months and they earn money providing a service that other refugees need so that whole model is uh, uh, what has brought a lot of satisfaction to me the solution to uh, extreme poverty in the world is to help poor people themselves on a, a, in large-scale initiatives to double their income it's as simple as that. And uh, the first organization that I founded in this arena, International Development, has helped 30 million $2 a day people. And uh, I'm uh, now working on creating a model for global companies, each of which is designed to help 100 million $2 a day people transform their lives and livelihoods. And the Business Fights Poverty Network has a large number of people trying to create positive social impact from within multinational businesses. What would be your advice to these people? I think the key challenge in many corporations is that they assign social impact to a, uh, a sort of a charitable initiative. What's really needed is for uh, corporations to define opportunities for them to make profit at scale serving $2 a day customers. 
in my view, the 800 million people who live on $2 a day in the world today are a, an opportunity, almost a virgin opportunity to create new markets uh, that allow them to help themselves move out of poverty. And uh, I think much more effort needs to be directed at finding market-driven opportunities to address problems like uh, extreme poverty in the world. And Paul, finally, what excites you most about 2019? This week, we're doing a, a test burn with volunteer engineers from Ball Aerospace. Uh, we're getting a barrel of uh, mesquite chips and a barrel of bamboo chips, and we're creating coal. And I have been negotiating with some friends I have at a company called Mahindra, which is a global company. I think that uh, that would be a natural if Mahindra took on this initiative of replacing coal in the world by growing crops like mesquite and transforming the mesquite chips into coal in 100,000 village kilns uh, in a country like uh, Bangladesh or especially India and uh, creating a million new jobs. And in the end, to make a big dent on the burning of coal, which is a biggest contributor to carbon emissions and climate change in the world. And climate change I regard as a huge problem just increasingly being recognized. So that's the most exciting prospect for 2019. And have you caught a call to action to the people listening today? Anything they can do to help you? Sure. If you are a part of a corporation or have connections to corporations, uh, anything you can do to encourage them to become partners with uh, me or with uh, others like me, I would encourage them to get in touch. And of course, the other area is we always are looking for investments in these initiatives like replacing coal, uh, anything from $5,000 to a million dollars or several million dollars would be welcome. And uh, I can be reached uh, at the, my email, paul.r.polak at gmail.com. Paul Pollock, thank you very much for your time today, sir. Thank you. I enjoyed this conversation. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.